You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good? Yes? All right. Well, I am, uh, I am just honored uh, to be with you uh, today, and uh, um, I want to welcome those who are watching on on the uh, on the webcast, um, I'm just um, honored to be a part of doxology and theology, and I just uh, am blown away by uh, our own Matt Boswell, and he had the vision for this conference when he first came to Providence, and all of us kind of thought at first, oh, well, that's a, that's a pretty cool idea, uh, and uh, we, then he just kept kept at it, kept at it, and we quickly found out, no, this is serious, like God has really laid this burden and this vision on his heart, and uh, bro, I just, I love you, man. I thank you for your faithfulness to God, and, and this is incredible just to see uh, how uh, God has gathered uh, worship leaders from all over uh, to, to reflect on the gospel and to reflect on, on what our role is as worship leaders, and those of you who don't know me, I grew up in Houston. I grew up in a Muslim home. My family's from Iran. I became a Christian my senior year in high school when I read a New Testament. I came to faith in Christ through reading the gospel. My father ended up disowning me when he found out. My dad's a very prominent Muslim. And really my story has been one of God's continued faithfulness. As I've lost life to follow Christ, let go of my life, I've found life in Christ. And he's opened door after door for me. And I come from a uh, 12-year uh, ministry on, uh, on the road, an itinerant speaking ministry. Uh, I've come from that uh, to the local church about two years ago, uh, almost exactly two years ago, on October 31st. Uh, so um, I, I had a huge paradigm shift uh, on, on what the worship service is, is all about, uh, because it's totally different when you just kind of pop in and you pop out than when you are there week in, week out, leading a body and shepherding a flock. Uh, it's totally different the way you look at leading that congregation, that, that gathering uh, on a Sunday morning. And so uh, that's kind of uh, some of the things I want to speak to you, some of the ways that that has, has kind of shifted in, in my heart and mind. Uh, so we've been talking about uh, doxology and theology, theology and doxology. So theology, uh, we, we've heard if, if you really have proper theology, understanding of God, who he is, what he's done for us, then it ought to move us to doxology, which is the praise of, of his people. And that's what we've talked about. And we said that's why it's so important for us to make sure we lead our congregations rooted in the word of God and centered on the gospel. And so that's what we heard all yesterday. And what I want to do today is hit some more of that, but also move on to why that's key. What, why that's so important for us to make sure that we're rooted in the word and that we're shining the light on Christ uh, and his gospel. And yes, it's going to impact the quality of our congregational worship, but what you'll see, uh, what really the Lord has laid on my heart, is how what we do on Sunday morning when we gather, uh, rooted in the word, proclaiming the gospel, how that is important in transforming lives lived out in the world for Jesus. Okay? So grab your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 is where we'll be. And the author of Hebrews writes to a people who've been uh, brought into the kingdom of God by the blood of Christ, and he uh, first starts off where I'm going uh, to jump in. Um, our first thing we're going to look at is how he really brings a warning and an admonition to, to worship leaders. 
And so that's kind of where we're going to start. Uh, so let me a- invite you, if you would, if you're already in Hebrews 13, would you just bow your head real quickly? And I know we just prayed, uh, but I, I want all of us to pray individually now. All of us, just pray uh, in your hearts silently, and just would you ask God to speak to you personally, speak to you through his word. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, as we come to your word, we come expecting to to worship you, to meet with you. Jesus, we pray that you would sanctify us by your word. We pray that your word, God, that you promise accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent and does not return void, that it would fall on fertile soil in our hearts. God, change us and produce fruit in our lives. Lord, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, God, that you would you would find preeminence, God, and you, you do have preeminence in our midst, but Lord, that, we, that our eyes would be cast on you, God, and you would draw our hearts to you. Be glorified in this time. We love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, Hebrews 13, let's start in verse seven, and I want you to just, just look at this one verse. He writes to the people and he says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So before we talk to how the gospel and how we lead uh, impacts others, let's first start uh, with us. And what are the the ways we communicate the gospel and the word of God to folks? And I think it's very important for us as worship leaders, worship pastors, to remember these three things. Listen, that the people that we lead, and I'm talking not when you pop in, pop out like I used to do. I'm talking regularly, week in, week out, when you're with them. The people you lead are going, when they remember you, they're going to remember the words you spoke to them. They're going to remember, they're going to consider your life. And they're also going to imitate your faith. Now, if that doesn't move you to some kind of a holy fear to lean on God, I don't know what will. That people who are in our congregations are going to remember our word, they're going to consider our lives and look at the outcome of our life, and that they're going to imitate our faith. So let's take those three really quickly. The three ways we're going to communicate the word of God as worship leaders, first of all, is, is, is through our spoken word, through our music, yes, but through the words that come out in our music. And especially this is important when you combine words with music, because you and I both know Music has a way of searing words into our memories. I mean, I still today know the stupid words of Ice Ice Baby. I have no idea why. (laughs) Take heed because I'm a lyrical poet. Miami's on the scene just in case you didn't know it. I have no idea why I know that, and it brings me no benefit today. Well, actually, I know why I know that, because it was set to a very catchy bass line that wasn't even his, all right? So, hey... So that includes all, if you didn't write your, your songs, there you go. Now all of us are included. Okay, this is admonition for all of us. Look, especially when you put words to music. Man, it just has a way of being seared into our mind. And for preachers too, preachers who week in and week out uh, preach, we must remember that our words will be emulated, our phrases will be emulated, and even sometimes our mannerisms, Right? And so, man, it's important for us, and this is why at Providence, we want the word of God to be the thing that comes out of our lips more than anything else. We want our worship services to be saturated with the word of God. 
Because we want people to be constantly hearing it off of our lips, constantly remembering, when they remember our words, they remember the word of God. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So the word of God is, is the seed of our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. First uh, Peter says again that the word of God is the, is, this, is the spiritual seed that leads to our salvation, that leads to our faith, okay? But as we gather as a church, the word of God is also what we breathe. I want you to think of Ezekiel 37 when God spoke his word and he breathed life into the dry bones, okay, the dead bones. This is, that, that the word of God is what has called us as a people, as a church, to be gathered to him, to be in his presence, to be a royal priesthood, and then to reflect his image to all the world. It starts with the word of God, and the word of God is what we must constantly breathe in and out when we gather. I love how Ligon Duncan has talked about five ways that we engage God's word in the, in, in the, in the uh, service. Uh, we engage God's word by reading the word. Think of Paul when he uh, um, challenges Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of scripture. We read the word constantly. We preach the word. Obviously, he, he commands Paul, Paul commands Timothy to preach the word in season, out of season. We pray the word. We're, we're called to pray according to God's will. You want to pray according to God's will? You pray God's word back to him. And this is his will for us. Okay? So we pray God's word in our services. We sing God's word. We've already looked at that. Our audience is God and worship to him. We'll get to that. But also one another as we speak the truth in love in our congregational singing to one another so that we would be built up mature into the head, which is Christ. Okay? And then we see the word, which is the sacraments. When we look at baptism, the testimony of baptism and the Lord's Supper, we are seeing a picture of the gospel. And so we must be a people that speak the word of God because people are going to remember that, that word. Secondly, worship leaders not only communicate by speaking the word of God, but they communicate by living the word of God. And I want us all to be reminded and challenged of that. It's not just what you do from the stage. It's the way you live the word of God. Think of this. The worshipers that you lead will consider the outcome of your life. In other words, they're going to look and say, does this person's life bear fruit? Right? They want to see, what does it look like when the gospel is lived out? Where's the fruit? And so that's why Paul says uh, to Timothy again in 1 Timothy 4, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. On both. All right? He says, persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And by the way, uh, worship leaders, let me just say as a side note, if you say that the word of God is a prominent, plays a prominent role in the worship service, then, then, then let me tell you, then after you lead your set, if you just kind of kick it in the green room while the word of God is being preached, then your action is actually speaking much louder what you think about the word of God in the service than even what you say. Now listen, let me be fair. Same thing to preachers, all right? If you don't come and worship with God's people, but you're in the back getting ready for your sermon, right? Then you're, then you're showing you don't care about gathering with God's people to worship them, right? And so, man, they're watching not just what we say, but how we live our life. And they want to see the fruit of our lives. And then finally, a worship leader not only speaks the word of God, not only lives the word of God, but a worship leader believes the word of God. In other words, they're going to imitate your faith. They're going to watch how you believe God's word, okay? And let me tell you. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
They're imitating the, your faith. And your faith will show itself most when life squeezes you. When hard times come, where do you turn? What do you put your hope in? Okay? Where do you turn? I think of Paul in Philippians 1 when he says that about his chains and being in prison. He says that they are a defense and a confirmation of the gospel. What that means is this, that when you think of Paul, here's a guy who persecuted the church. And now because of Jesus, he's in prison. He's saying all you have to do is look at my chains. And my chains are a defense and a confirmation of the power of the gospel in my life. You don't have to go into that prison cell and ask Paul, hey, Paul, um, do you believe in Jesus? All he has to do is just go, uh, what do you think? Look at my chains. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe in him so much that I was willing to put aside the comfort of my standing in Judaism to follow him even into prison. And so they're going to imitate our faith. They're going to imitate our faith. And so what's the content of our message now? Uh, what's the content? Go to verse 8. Right after verse 7, he says, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so our assurance of being loved, chosen, and kept by the love of God, by the love of Jesus that Mark Dever talked about last night, our assurance in that uh, is rooted in the unchanging nature of Christ. That Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's why we want to shine the light on Jesus because we have an unchanging Savior, we have an unchanging message. It's Jesus. That's who we want to shine the light on. It's the person and work of Christ. And so it's Jesus in, in the gospel, what Jesus did for us. Look at verse 9. It's, it's, it's the gospel of grace. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. There it is. Okay? And then he goes on to talk about the old Levitical system of sacrifice where the high priest would bring the blood of animals to pay for, the sins of his, uh, for his own sins and the sins of the people. And he goes on to talk about in verse 12, look at this. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. So our message is Jesus and the blood of Jesus shed for us, the gospel, the work of Christ on the cross to pay for our sins. Look at, look at uh, uh, Hebrews 12, 24, when it talks about uh, the, the heavenly kingdom, the heavenly city that we're gathered to. It says also in verse 24, and we're gathered to Jesus. Look what it says. The mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So think of it. The blood of Abel cried out to God a curse on Cain, a curse of vengeance, Okay. But the blood of Jesus cries out a different message. It cries out a message of forgiveness and peace for those who put their faith and trust in Christ. And so Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 2, 13 says that in Christ we who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Earlier in Hebrews chapter 9, it says that Jesus is our high priest. He is our sacrifice, not by the blood of goats, but by his own blood. He has secured for us an eternal redemption. And so we want to be a people. The content of our message is the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. That yes, we were sinners separated from God. That we were dead in our trespasses. That we were destined for the wrath of God. But Jesus is our propitiation. His blood shed for us. Through faith in Christ, we can stand holy and right before God. So this is the content of our message. Now, let's move from, if you will, theology now to doxology. 
Why is that important? The, 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 the proclamation of the word of God, all right, through our music, through our worship leading, and the shining the light on Christ and the work of Christ, the gospel. I want you to look at verse 13 through 16. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have, uh, have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And so then you get, you, you get the content of the message, then you get, okay, here's what it leads to. Here, here, here's the overflow of the gospel being proclaimed. Here's why it's so important for us in our leading to center on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, first of all, it's necessary for, for faith. Number one, it fuels evangelism when we preach the word of God and we center it on the person and work of Christ. Okay, I want you to look at verse 15 one more time. I'm gonna kind of jump around in this, but look at verse 15. It, I, the, the key word is through him. In other words, through Christ and what he has done for us, we now can come into the presence of God and bring sacrifices that are acceptable to God. And it's a sacrifice of our praise. So it's the understanding that it has nothing to do with what I do, but it has to do with what Christ has done for me. And it's through him that I can enter into the presence of God. And so, Philippians 3, Paul says, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Later in verse 15, it says, through him, and then at the very end, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And so we want to clearly communicate the gospel so that people will understand, just as we read in Ephesians 2, that, man, I was dead in my trespasses. If I was sick in my trespasses, then maybe I could do something about it. I can go see a doctor. I maybe take a medicine for it. But it says I'm dead. That means I'm helpless. That God must awaken my heart, bring me to life. And so when I understand that, when we clearly communicate the gospel, it, it draws people to surrender and to acknowledge the name of Christ. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes it this way, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So we want to clearly proclaim the gospel so people would not put their hope and their faith in themselves and their works or in us, but in, but in the power of God. We want to clearly communicate the gospel to draw people to come to the end of themselves and acknowledge the name of Jesus. Think of the two men who went to the temple to pray that Jesus talks about. One, the Pharisee, the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee prayed, thank you, God, that I fast and I tithe and I'm not like this guy. He's centered on his own works. But Jesus says that the tax collector would not lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his chest and said, be merciful to me, God, for I am a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this man went home justified rather than the first. For all who want to exalt themselves will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself before the Lord will be lifted up. The Bible says in 1 Peter that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God's not against the, the sinner. I'm thankful that he's not because I'm a sinner. But God's against the proud, those who stand in their righteousness. So it's important for us to clearly proclaim the gospel so people will come to the end of themselves and quit trying to stand in their own righteousness 
and acknowledge the name of Jesus. Call on his name. So it's essential for, for evangelism. But number two, the reason that uh, we lead uh, with the word of God and, and centered on the gospel is that God receives glory through thankful hearts. God receives glory through, through, through thankful hearts. Look what it says in verse 15. And this is how, why we gather. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. I love that word continually. Meaning it's not a once and done thing. The rest of our life we gather to sing the praises of God. And I'm going to get here in a second. We go out to live but with our lives, the praises of God. We continually do it. First Peter 2 says that we as a church again are a royal priesthood offering sacrifices acceptable to God. And this is why it's important to center it on grace because when you understand the grace you've received, your heart will be filled with thankfulness and that goes to the glory of God. Listen to the way 2 Corinthians 4.15 says it. As grace extends to more, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of the Lord. Okay, so God receives glory with thankful hearts and our thankfulness rises when we understand how much grace we've received, okay? Romans 1.21, think of those who reject God. Remember, they're the ones that although they knew God, they did not honor him as God nor give thanks to him. Remember Ephesians 1 says that we're predestined for adoption to the praise of his glorious grace so that we would understand grace and be filled with thanksgiving, now, I, I talk to Muslims all the time that say, man, uh, if it's by grace, then why would you live for God? Well, you just go do whatever you want. He's going to forgive you, right? Why would you live for God? And you don't understand grace if that's your thinking. You don't understand what you've been given, okay? I love how Tim Keller says it. He says, three things affect my thankfulness when I receive a gift. How much it costs the giver, all right? How much it cost me, well first how much it cost me, like did I pay for it or was it given to me for free? If it was given to me for free, my thankfulness rises. How much did he pay for it, all right? Think of a guy that comes and gives you a gift. This has happened to me before. Offers me a gift. I'm like, oh, thanks. And he's like, oh, no worries. I got tons more of my work. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, it kind of cheapened it a little bit, right? <laughs> right? But, but, but think of that. Like how much did it cost him? God, the, the scripture says, love the world that he gave his only begotten son. Sure did cost him something. His only begotten son. And then Tim Keller says, how necessary is it? I mean, someone could give you a free notepad. Well, thanks, you have to go throw it in your desk, right? But what if you have a rare disease and there's only one strand of bacteria, whatever, that could save you, a cure that could save you, and that person has it and he spends all of his money to, let's say, purchase that thing and he gives you that thing, then you'd fall at his feet and say, I am at your service. You don't understand what you've, get, what you've received in Christ. And so we want to center it on grace so that thankfulness in hearts will rise to the brim so that God receives maximum glory, okay? And then, thirdly, um, it's important for us to focus on the gospel of grace and on Jesus because it leads worshipers to treasure Christ over the world. Look at verse 13, look at verse 13. He says, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Now, the uh, idea of go to him outside the camp, it speaks metaphorically of leaving behind the love of this world and the desire for the world's approval and embracing the reproach of Christ. That's what it, that's what it means. Let us go outside the camp means let us go with hearts full of grace and, and thankfulness to God and let's, let's bear the reproach of Christ. Let's bear it. 
Let's leave behind the approval of the world. And so it leads worshipers to treasure Christ. Now, why would someone choose the reproach of Christ over the comfort of the world? Look at the very next thing it says in verse 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So hear me, lead worshipers. What we are called to do is shine the light on the city that is to come and the reward of that city, which is eternity with God, eternity with Christ in the presence of Christ. Okay? And, when we, and when people have an eternal perspective, their eyes will go off of the stuff of this world and they'll treasure Christ over it. Okay? But we've got to move people's eyes to, to that right perspective. Think of John 14, for instance, when Jesus says that, it, that he's going to go and prepare a place for them. Okay? And he goes, that, so if I'm going to prepare a place for you, know I'm going to come and, and take you with me so that where I am, there you will also be. The disciples were downcast, and he says, don't be downcast, and here's the reward of heaven. Not mansions in heaven, not the streets of gold. The reward of heaven is this. You get to be with me for eternity. Now listen to me. If the reward of heaven is the presence of Christ for eternity, you get Jesus for eternity, it makes absolutely no sense for that to be the reward of heaven and for us to pursue anything but Jesus on this earth. Makes no sense. And so when people understand the treasure that Jesus Christ is, then we would be willing to forsake anything this world offers us for Christ. Uh, In Philippians chapter three, I wanna read this, it just popped in my head, but I I love this uh, passage. In Philippians chapter three, listen to what it says here in verse 18 through 20. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now why do they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ? Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so listen, folks, you walk as an enemy of the cross of Christ. If you claim to be a Christian, and man, you are setting your minds on things of this earth. Why? Because you are by your life saying that Jesus is not enough. And so you're an enemy of the cross. Man, when the cross shows us the grace we've received, that you get Jesus And when you understand how valuable that treasure is, you will be like the person, when Jesus says, it's like a man who finds a treasure and he buries it in the field and he sells all of his possessions to purchase that field. When you find the greatest thing in life, you will lose everything this world has because you treasure Christ. May I share my testimony all over this country? And it's a testimony of God's grace, not of my just incredible faith, all right? But you know, some of you who know my testimony know that my, I I actually did share it earlier, that my father made me choose between him and Christ, and by God's strength I chose Christ. My father disowned me. I have people come up to me all the time and say, Afshin, I could never do that. I could never lose my father to follow Christ. I just, I said, man, I gotta tell you, bro, I think you're trying to like encourage me, but listen to me. If you can't, then something's wrong then you don't know what you're getting in Christ. You would lose everything for him. That's why a book can be written and called radical because it's written to America. When you look at the scriptures, that book title, Radical, would be called normal. 
It's normal. It's only radical because it's written to the American culture. And we pursue the stuff of this world over Jesus. So man, we want to shine it on grace and on Christ so that true worshipers would treasure Christ over the world and not be enemies of the cross, but confirm and defend the power of the gospel with their lives. And then fourthly, it leads to selfless service. Look at verse 16. Oh, I gotta get back to Hebrews myself. It leads to selfless service. Hebrews 13, verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The idea here is this. It's like Philippians 2 says it. That when we gather, look, Paul says in Philippians 2, he says, consider others more significant than yourselves. Okay? Put the interest of others before your own. Now that is not in our human flesh to do. All right? We will never do that in our human flesh. Consider others more significant. Now how are we going to do that? Worship leaders, don't miss it. He says, by gazing your eyes on Christ. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. Who though he was equal to God, didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and coming in the form of a bondservant. He became obedient all the way to the point of the death of the cross, right? So you look at what Christ has done for you. When you remember the grace you've received, then entitlement goes out the door and you quit thinking about what you deserve and your rights and you'll put others before yourself. The, the, the picture that I always have of this, if I may t- take quick, quick, like two, three minutes to, to illustrate this, uh, all you have to do to see how selfish we are in our society is buy a ticket on Southwest Airlines, okay? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Southwest Airlines is the one airline that doesn't assign you a specific seat. It assigns you like a boarding group, okay? And so you got A, 1 through 30, A, 31 through 60, and on and on, A plus, A minus, B plus, B minus. If you're in the A-plus crew, you get on first. And everyone who gets on first wants the aisle seat. It's all about me. I want to be the first one off, right? Unless you go maybe like halfway down, right? Then you're going to want like the window seats, okay? Uh, because, but you're never going to get the middle seat, all right? That's, just, that's like reserved for like someone's backpack and pretend like I'm working. I'm not going to look at anyone unless they take my seat, my little space seat, right? And so by the time C-minus gets on, they're looking at a plane full of available middle seats, all the way down, right? And I one time got on that C-minus crew, and I came on, and there was a father and a son in front of me, and they were walking, and there was a girl on the, a, the first row, first uh, uh, aisle seat. Now, to get that, you got to be like A1. And to get A1, you have, you've either had to be like in their priority list, or you've had to go on early. You had to do something to deserve that seat, okay? And so this Father and son walk on, and they had the audacity to look at her and say, the father did, excuse me, ma'am, do you mind sitting in the second row middle seat so I could sit here with my son? And the lady was like, oh. And like everybody on the plane was just appalled. How dare you, Mr. C minus? Ask me, A plus, who I did the work to get this seat, right? And I, I just watched that whole scene and thought, that's hilarious, right? And then I just started playing this game in my head. I go, what if... What if the way she got that ticket was totally different? What if she missed her flight, her previous flight? Um, and, and let's say she begged to get on this flight. She had to get home. And there's no way, and it was the, the flight was booked. Sorry, ma'am. And let's just say, and I'm not saying that Southwest would allow this, but let's just say that somebody that had an A-plus ticket overheard her begging and came over and said, hey, you know what? I'll take the next flight. She can take my ticket. 
And let's say that's the way she got on that ticket, on that plane. Now enter father and son. Um, excuse me, ma'am, could you sit in the second row middle seat so I could sit here with my, with, with my son? I'd be willing to bet that that lady would jump up and say, it's yours. Why? Because, hey, I'm on the plane, right? I don't deserve to be on the plane. Do you see how entitlement goes out when your eyes are lifted to the cross and you remember the grace you've received? Then and only then will you do what this says, do good and share what you have. And as Philippians 2 says, consider others more significant than yourself. That's why it's important for us to proclaim the gospel, proclaim the word of God. And then finally, it leads to courageous witnesses. It leads to courageous witnesses. Back to Hebrews 13, uh, back to verse 13. Let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. We wanna bear the reproach he endured uh, and the way we do it again is, go to verse 15, with a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That means not that we just acknowledge his name in our gathering, but we do what Jesus commanded us to do in Matthew 10, that what you hear from the rooftops, you sh- I mean, excuse me, what you hear in the ear, you shout from the rooftops. Excuse me, what you hear whispered in the ear, you shout from the rooftops. And you do not fear him who can kill your body, but you fear only him who can destroy your body and soul in hell. So you fear God, you, uh, you revere God, you, re- you, you know uh, what you have in Christ and how precious it is, and you do not fear anyone, and you bear the reproach of Christ, and you acknowledge his name everywhere you go. It leads to courageous w- witnesses. When we focus on the gospel of grace, we focus on Jesus the early church praised God that they were counted worthy to suffer. First Peter chapter four says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. Philippians 1.29 says, it's been granted to you not only to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for his name. Worshippers understand that man, it's a joy to suffer for the name of Christ because they revere the name of Christ more than anything else in this world. They want him to be known. They want to acknowledge his name. Um, I think of um, what God said about Paul, that he would, he would suffer for the name of Christ as he bears my name before the Gentiles. Let me tell you, I have the incredible privilege of going to the Middle East and training up Iranian men and women who feel called to the ministry. They've come out of Iran, some of them out of persecution, knowing that if they go back to Iran, they will suffer more persecution. They come to a neighboring country, there's a training site that I go, I speak fluent Farsi, and I teach them how to preach and how to do evangelism. We go through the gospel, we go through theology, we do all that with them. I'm, I got one week with them when I go. Uh, I'll never forget, uh, when, when the times that I, I, it really hits me when, when someone has got the gospel, because I gotta be honest, some of those guys, they want to do ministry, but they come, and, and their heart really is, man, I'd love to get to America. I'd love to get to the West. And we've, we've found that from time to time. But let me tell you when we really know the gospel is really sunk in. When they do this. Man, I can't go to America. I can't know what I know and not go back to my people. They feel the weight of the stewardship of just the revelation of God's word in their life. Do you understand that when we preach to people that, man, you were spiritually blinded, that you were dead in your trespasses, 1 Corinthians, that you can't even discern the things of God unless you have the mind of Christ given to you. 
When you understand that it's only by grace that not only are you saved, but it's only by grace that you even know the truth. When you understand the burden that you have the truth, you would say like those, I can't just stay in America and be comfortable. I gotta go. I gotta go. So we, by doing, by focusing on grace and what you've been given, and it's not a right, it's going to lead, I believe, to missionaries, to courageous witnesses through our church. That's why it's important that we focus on that. Um, my, my, my good friend, oh, I got one more point. I'm almost time, up with my time. Oh, I'm gonna do it. My good friend, Farshid. I just want you to know about him, that's all. I love Farshid. He's been in prison in Tehran almost for three years. My church knows him well. We have cards we hand out. We, people are praying for him in my church. Farshid is a, is a dear brother, uh, and I'm telling you, the most courageous evangelist I know, sharing his faith left and right in Tehran, and he's planted over 20 churches in Tehran and the, and the neighboring regions, house churches, okay? Um, a couple of years ago, Christmas Day, you may have heard of this, there was a crackdown by the government on the house church movement in Iran. Farshid was taking his, his um, daughter to uh, school, and he got a phone call. Well, first of all, I'm sorry, he got a bunch of texts and phone calls from all the people in his house church network saying they've come, they found us, what do we do? And he's, he's, his heart's racing. Then he gets a phone call from his home. He answers it. It's not his wife, it's the authorities. They say, we have your wife, you need to come home now. He called the ministry that I work with, and they told us that this is what he said before he went home. Hey, pray for me. Pray that I would. Pray that I would suffer well. And then he said this. Um, he said, but don't just pray for my release. Pray that through my chains, more people in my country would know about Jesus. This is what I want you to tell the American church that supports our ministry. Pray that the word would spread through my suffering, through my chains. Now say, how does a person, ha again, it's a person that has an eternal perspective that understands that Christ is the treasure and hope of life, that nothing, no comfort is worth losing that treasure and acknowledging the name of Christ. And so, the final thing I wanna say to you worship leaders is in verse 17 and then we'll, we'll pray. The final reason why we must proclaim the word and center it on the gospel Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give, uh, who will, excuse me, have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. And so I say worship leaders, the final reason that it's important for us to do what I just talked about, make sure you proclaim the gospel. Make sure you center on the word of God. Everything you do and you're leading and this is why, because you will give an account to the people, for the people you lead. That's why James says, let, there not, let not many people aspire to be teachers because you'll be judged with greater strictness. Now, I know in this room, uh, we probably have people that are on the same page with this. Most of you, if not all of you, are on the same page with this. And I thank you for your faithful service. But I think as worship pastors, we need to tell the future generation of worship leaders that look, if you're in it for the glory of your music or your talents or yourself, then man, get out of worship. Get out of worship music, go to secular music for your own good, right? Don't lead worship music 
Because listen, you will give an account. Read Leviticus 10, where it talks about Nadab and Abihu, who offer worship that didn't glorify the Lord, and read what happened to them. And so we want our worship to center on Christ. Again, because doxology, what it leads to is the fruit of, li- of, of, of lips that acknowledge his name and the fruit of lives that acknowledge his name. Let me pray for you. Bow your head with me. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for Hebrews 13. God, we thank you for the truth that you've given us through, the, through your word. I pray for my fellow pastors that all of us would remember the high calling that you've given us, not because of our own strength or our own eloquence or our own talents, but by your grace we've been called into the ministry. Let us remember that people watch and listen to our words and remember them that they consider our way of life and they look at the outcome and they imitate our faith. Let it begin with us, God. And as we lead, Jesus, may we constantly be in awe of the treasure of Christ. You could have left us separated forever. But because of your great love, Because you were rich in mercy, you made us alive together with Christ. And by grace, we've been saved through faith in that not of ourselves, it's a gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. God, may we never graduate from the gospel. May we never move on. May we constantly come back to it and be in awe of the grace we have. And may our lips and our lives continually bring sacrifices of praise to you. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray.